As we look at Psalm 67, so we're kind of in our mini psalm series. We're in between preaching series, and I had said that I wanted to go through a few of the psalms that had become very special to me over the summer. Uh, there are many psalms that have been an encouragement to me, just in some of the things that uh, Anna and I have been going through, just even as a family. Some of the psalms that speak of God being a refuge, some of uh, him being our comfort, him being our strength, uh, being the good shepherd, being uh, le- that we could hide in the shadow of his wings that his mercies are new every morning. Some of these became very, very, very precious to me. Psalm 67 takes a decidedly different tone than that. Uh, This one became special for somewhat of a different reason, that God and his glory would be known to the ends of the earth. So in April, Jack and I got to go to a conference together, and I, I signed up to listen to David Platt and John Piper and a few other guys talk about the topic of missions. Uh, and and they, they read Psalm 67 at the opening of that session, and we went through a few sessions, and it, it was very, very encouraging to me just to think about the idea of missions. Psalm 67 is not well known like some of the others, like a Psalm 23 or a Psalm 1 or a Psalm 119, and, and yet it, it, the truths of it are very, very encouraging. As one man said, it's the missionary psalm. And so I thought with Dottie Glorin being here this morning and speaking to us just a little bit about it, your time of missions, in Argentina. Let's, let's look at Psalm 67 because the theme of the psalm, it, it's this prayer that has this thought, God, would you bless us? Would you pour out your blessing on us so that the ends of the earth would know who you are? And that's, that's really the theme of what we want to talk about this morning. So I have this question for you. I want you to think about God's blessing in your life. What does it mean to have God's blessing in your life. What does it mean if God has blessed you and we speak of God's blessings? What does that look like? What does it entail? What does it mean to have God's blessings in our lives? We speak, it's somewhat of a term that we use so often, it can become confusing and we we get other thoughts mixed into it of just what does it even mean to have God's blessings? And we go around and we say, God bless you, and we speak of blessings. We speak of being in a blessed nation. We speak of being blessed people. When someone sneezes, we say, bless you, right? Uh, My my daughter the other day, uh, I sneezed, and she says, Dad, you're a blessing. Uh, no, I'm sneezing, sweetheart. You've just heard other people say God bless you, right? It's easy to, 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 to be confused as well. We use the word blessing so much. What does it mean to say that God blesses us? So if we would desire God's blessing on our lives as individuals, what is it that we're desiring? If we would desire God's blessing on Shawnee Baptist Church, what would that look like? If we wanted to be a blessed people, what would that look like if God blessed us? But then also, secondly, to what end would that blessing be used for? What is the purpose of God's blessing in our lives? If we are a blessed people, to what end should we be using God's blessing in our lives? And Psalm 67 is going to speak to some of these things, and I want us to look through it in the time that we have together. Go to Psalm 67, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. 
Psalm 67 verse 1 says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That you see this prayer. We don't know for sure who wrote the psalm. It's possible that this is something that they would have sung during the harvest season or during a time of praise and they would rejoice in God's blessings, in his favor, in his kindness and they, they desire that God would be gracious, that his favor and kindness would be shown to them, that God would bless them, again showing divine favor, and make his face to shine upon them. They, they desire that God and his glory and his face, his light, his person, his presence would be known to them as a people. And so they're praying for this blessing. You've, you've heard words similar to this before. I want to show you a few verses from the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6 says this. This, this is uh, Moses is commanding Aaron a blessing that he can give to the people of Israel. And he says this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace or give you Shalom is the word that's used. And so sometimes we will close our services with this word of blessing or benediction. Countless churches throughout Christendom have used turn to this blessing as a, as a blessing uh, to speak of uh, a desire for God's, uh, uh, God's favor, God's blessing, God's kindness. And, and so the psalmist picks up some of these words then and he, he, there's this prayer, may God be gracious to us. And, and so he's including himself in the prayer where as numbers is the Lord bless you, the psalmist is saying, may the Lord bless us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And whereas in numbers, it's primarily for the nation of Israel and themselves, there's something very interesting about the purpose of this blessing. And you see it in verse 2, that it wasn't just for the people of Israel, but that the blessing was for the distinct purpose that the nations would know who God is so that the nations would see God's blessing in the life of Israel and then turn and glorify God. Look at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Verse 2. That your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Do you see the psalmist's prayer? He desires God's blessings for the people of Israel. Why? So that God's saving power would be known among the nations. So that God's ways, His dealings would be known throughout all of the earth. And you see this desire, this prayer. God, bless us so that others know who you are. And, and, and then you see His heart for the nations. You see the psalmist's heart that all peoples would know in verses 3-5. through five. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You catch the psalmist's passion, his desire that all peoples of all nations would join in praising who God is. Why? Why was a God, why is God a God who deserves to be praised, a God who deserves to be known, a God who deserves to be glorified? He says in verse 4, because God is a God who judges the people with equity and he guides the nations upon the earth. This speaks of God's authority, the way that God rules, the way that God will one day judge, and the psalmist knows that, and he's, he's desirous that all people everywhere would join in the praise of who God is. 
When you love something, when you find joy in something, when you find something or someone praiseworthy, you desire that others know that. You desire that others join in in that praise. C.S. Lewis writes about this concept in, in Psalms and where Psalms frequently admonishes people to join in the praise of who God is. You have this quote in your bulletin, but he's speaking about that. Why, why is over and over the theme of the Psalms this des, either a desire here in this psalm it's a desire but in other places in psalms it's a command that we must join in praising who God is well he speaks to this and he says this just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it isn't she lovely wasn't it glorious don't you think that magnificent the psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. And then he goes on to say, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. And so there's this sense and this realization that the psalmist and the people of Israel as the one true nation of God, as they saw who God was, they were supposed to enjoy Him, to see Him as good, to see Him as praiseworthy. And a natural extension of that would be that all people in all places would praise God and see Him as good and glorious. Do you see God? as that good? Do you see him as so worthy of praise that in your life you're desirous that others join in that praise? Because you recognize how good it is and you want others to know about that. You want others to know him and so that praise naturally spills over. And you see this is what the psalmist is saying. He's desirous of God's blessing in, 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 on the people of Israel. God, make your face to shine upon us so that all peoples everywhere know who you are. We want all the peoples to praise you. And then he comes back to that same desire of blessing. What, what he started with in the first two verses is essentially what he's going to close with in the last two verses. And you kind of see it sandwiched together in verses 6 and 7. The earth has yielded its increase. Again, this is why part of why I say it could have come back to the time of harvest. He's specifically talking about fruit, harvest, produce, that, that the earth has supplied in abundance. God has poured out his blessing in that way. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And, and you see the confidence of the psalmist that God has poured out his blessing. God will pour out his blessing. And there's this desire that all nations would know who God is. So what I love about this psalm as the, as the people would come together and they would pray and they would cry out to God in praise, God, bless us. Make your face to shine upon us. Do something through and in us in a way that would cause all men everywhere to see who you are as God because you're a God who judges, who guides, and we want people to fear you. And you see that prayer and you see that desire. Now to understand, this, this would have been a prayer that Israel would have prayed in their worship. It would have been their desire to understand uh, a, a little bit better of how it applies to us as a people and to think about what this means in our context today. I want us to trace just a little bit through Scripture and catch just a little bit of the overarching storyline of Scripture to remember who Israel was and what God was doing with them as a people and why this prayer would have been important to them. Once we see how it relates to Israel, it'll help us understand, okay, now for us as New Testament Christians in the church, what should our desire for blessing be? 
What does it mean to have God's blessing? And how should we as a people seek to spread that good news to the watching world around us? So I, I, I think of this. I showed you the blessing that this came from in Numbers chapter 6. But remember, this, this desire for God's blessing and this promise of God's blessing is rooted even further back. We're going to go to the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 12. And this is where God makes his promise to the person of Abraham. Where God promises to bless the person of Abraham, to make him into a great nation, the nation of Israel. And then there was a future promise and a future blessing even beyond that. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And verse 3 says this, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God was setting Abram apart, he was going to turn him into the nation of Israel, he was going to multiply his descendants, God was going to uniquely bless and work through Israel and they would be his people and he made a covenant with them and you will see more of that spelled out as you go through scripture and God says that through Abraham, God, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Well, we know that Jesus Christ was a descendant of Abraham and that through the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would bring a blessing to all nations, to all peoples, for you and I would be included in that blessing and the promise of salvation. And so you see the promise that is started here and you realize that this, even though Israel was set apart as God's chosen people in the Old Testament, God's concern was for all nations, for all peoples. From the very beginning, he had a promise that would bless all peoples. And Israel, in a unique way, with a unique relationship with God, was supposed to be a light and a testimony to all surrounding nations. So when we come to the book of Exodus, as God is continuing to explain some of this promise, and he's covenanting with his people, and he's saying, here's my law that you have to obey. Here's, if you keep my covenant, if you obey, here's what I will do for you. And there were conditions to this part of the covenant here in Exodus 19. And this is what God says. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Look at verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you spoke. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. I want you to see what God was orchestrating for the people the way that God was setting up Israel and he wanted them to keep his covenant. He wanted them to walk in obedience and he, he right away from the very beginning Israel would act as a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. There would be this sense that as God obeyed, as Israel obeyed God and kept his covenant, they would act as priests in the watching world around them. What, what did a priest do? Think of Old Testament Israel and the way that priests offered sacrifices. Priests had a mediating presence. They mediated the presence of God. They, they offered a way of relationship and communication to God for the people. 
And here God is saying that the nation of Israel would act as priests to the watching world around them. And you see some of this in the desire of Psalm 67. That, that the psalmist is praying and desiring, God bless us, make your face to shine upon us, pour out your blessings so that all men everywhere would see you as God. Now the problem was, Israel didn't do very well at following God's commands and obeying his covenant. They didn't do very well at being his people. They, they weren't the light and the witness and testimony to their surrounding nations as they should be. They ended up in captivity. They ended up facing that severe judgment for many, many years, for hundreds of years. They were left in darkness all the while waiting for the promises that God made to them to come true. God promised a rescuer. God promised a Messiah and that came true in the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus comes onto the scene and he shows that he was the promised one providing deliverance but it wasn't just a deliverance it wasn't deliverance from the persecution and suffering that they were facing at the hands of political opposition he was providing deliverance of their souls he was providing salvation from sin he was providing a once-for-all sacrifice for sin and Israel did not accept Jesus as the Messiah and rejected Jesus. And, and, and so now you see, after Jesus' resurrection, he institutes the church. And, and so it is as if God has temporarily set aside Israel and is now working his plans and purposes through the church. This does not mean that the church replaces Israel. We believe that one day God will fulfill his promises to Israel, just as we believe that God will, will bring true his promises for us. And yet we now, as the church, as God is fulfilling his plans and purposes through us, he has given us the hope and the truth of the gospel. And we now work as a church as the people of God to spread the good news of who God is to a watching world. And this is why 1 Peter talks about the church as priests, as a holy nation. Jeff Bowen has been taking George's Sunday school class through the book of First Peter. And so some of these themes, those of you that have been in that class, you'll see some of this overlap. But I want you to see some of these verses and understand, well, what was Peter's instruction for the church? And specifically, what would it look like in relation to the watching world around them? So I want to take you to the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 in verse 9, this is why Peter says to these Christians, he says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see what Peter is telling the church? He's telling them that they're a, a royal priesthood, that the church, you and I now act as, as priests to a watching world around us, that we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So if you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ and God has saved you through the person and work of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for your sins, you now function as a part of the church to proclaim those excellencies of how Christ rescued you out of darkness. 
you now can proclaim the presence of God to a watching world. That there are people that need to hear your message. There are people that need to hear the message that Shawnee Baptist Church has to proclaim of who Jesus Christ is. And so we want to be people that uh, because we have been blessed by God, that is that we know the truth of the gospel, we in turn would bless others with the truth about God. Because we truly are a blessed people. What does it mean when I say that we are a blessed people? I'm not talking primarily about physical prosperity or material blessing. Even, even as you go through the Old Testament and you see God's commands uh, that, that he wanted it, the people of Israel to obey his commands, to fulfill his covenant, and that that would lead to physical prosperity and blessing, uh, we see that, and so it may be that material blessing, material prosperity is a blessing for God, but the two don't have to equate. It's not a one-to-one ratio. That's not the way that blessing in terms of a financial prosperity works, uh, especially for us as New Testament Christians. Our hope someday for physical prosperity is in the new creation, that one day all things will be made new. And that's where we set our hope in terms of anything physical, and yet that's not why we uh, turn to Christ for salvation. We turn to Christ for salvation for the forgiveness of our sins. And in the meantime, Christ has made it abundantly clear that, that this life may be filled with suffering, with persecution, with hardship. And don't think for a moment that that doesn't mean that we're not blessed by God. In fact, it may, it may very well be a sign of God's blessing. So in verse 9, Peter tells the church that they're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And throughout the book, part of what Peter is trying to explain to the church is, look, church, you need to live a life that has been fully transformed by the gospel. You need to live a beautiful life in front of a watching world, the good life. Uh, he, he takes several chapters to explain that, that this is the way this transformed life should be lived out in different contexts, in different relationships. And he wants them to understand that as they live this beautiful life, as the church lives this life that has been transformed by the gospel, it's going to cause a couple of different reactions as the world watches. One, there will be people who are attracted to the truth of this beautiful life because they've seen the good life and the way the gospel transformed your life and there will be some that need that truth and they turn to it and they will see God has poured out, poured out his favor on your life and therefore I, I, I want to know that God. I'm attracted to that God. God bless us, bless me, pour out your favor on our lives so that we may see so that others may see you. Some will be attracted to that. Others, however, their hearts will be hardened to the truth. And as we live the gospel in front of them, it may lead to persecution as they revile against the truth. Peter says something similar to this. He hits these themes just a few verses later in verse 12. So chapter 2, verse 12, just a couple verses later, he says this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here's what Peter wants. Church, 
Live your honorable lives. Let your conduct be honorable. Live this beautiful and good life fully transformed by the gospel and do it in front of the watching world, the Gentiles who are unsaved, so that when they see your life, they, they, they may glorify God. And, and you catch the fact that some are going to speak against them. Some are going to speak against the Christians, and yet some are going to glorify God. And you catch both of those aspects. That as we live our lives before God and we, uh, before a watching world, and we say, God, pour out your favor on our lives, we realize that for the church today, throughout Shimong and Tabernacle and Southampton and beyond, some will be attracted to this life that we live, and yet others will be reviled. They'll persecute specifically because we're proclaiming the truth. But that doesn't mean that it's still, that God still hasn't blessed us. So when we pray for God's blessing, when we ask for his favor, we're primarily asking for him, a relationship with him, the true knowledge of him. We're not asking for the easy, comfortable life. We're not asking for a life filled with prosperity. That doesn't necessarily equate to God's blessing. It may, but it doesn't have to. What is God's favor? What is God's blessing? It's Him. It's a relationship with Him. It's the knowledge of Him. And that may result in two very different reactions from a watching world. Some will be attracted to that. Others will be reviled and they will persecute. And Peter speaks to this later on in chapter 4. In chapter 4, he says this in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you in verse 13 but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed look what he says in verse 14 if you are insulted for the name of Christ you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you that word blessed is the same word blessed that's used throughout the Beatitudes. Do you, re do you remember in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus is speaking of those who are blessed? He says, blessed, blessed are, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You remember that pronouncement of blessing when the persecution comes? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. My point with bringing this up Here's my point. For us, as Shawnee Baptist Church, as New Testament Christians, I long for God's blessing in our lives. I long for him to pour out his favor in our lives. I long that I personally would be blessed by God. What do I mean by that? I don't necessarily mean that my life would be comfortable and easy. I don't in any way mean that. I'm not asking for physical prosperity. I long that God would bless the lives of my children, my seven-year-old, my four-year-old, my 18-month-old. What do I desire? I don't desire that God would bless them with physical, material prosperity and, and scholarships and great jobs and all these kinds of things. None of those things are wrong. I'm not saying any of those things shouldn't be pursued. I'm saying what is God's favor and blessing on their lives? It's Him. It's a relationship with Him. It's the knowledge of who He is. Amen. 
And that may mean that this life is difficult. It may be filled with persecution. But listen, that could be part of God's blessing and there's a watching world who needs to know Him and some will be attracted to that truth. And my fear is, is that as Christians, we lose the prophetic witness of our testimony when we whine and complain at the hardship and suffering that God allows into our lives. Listen, that's part of the blessing that He promised and there will be some that need to hear that and will be attracted to that truth and we as a people should pray the same types of things that the psalmist prayed in Psalm 67. God, bless us. Make your favor to shine upon us. Make your face to shine upon us so that all men everywhere would know who you are. Just make sure we understand what it is that we're asking for. What would it look like if God blessed Shawnee Baptist Church? I want to read to you uh, a, a, this is a lengthy quote by a man named John Stott and he's talking about Psalm 67 and then he relates it to how this relates to us as the church today. And so he's speaking of Aaron's blessing going back to numbers as it relates to Psalm 67 and he says this, if only Aaron's blessing would come true, if only God's mercy were granted to them, if only God were specially to bless them, and the light of his smile were to be upon them and with them always. Surely then the nations would see for themselves. Then the nations would have visual proof of the existence, activity, and grace of God. Then the nations would come to know his way and his salvation and experience themselves that God rules righteously and leads his people like a shepherd. And he goes on to talk about the church and he says the same principle operates today. Non-Christian people are watching us. We claim to know, to love, and to follow Jesus Christ. We say that he is our Savior, our Lord, and our friend. What difference does he make to these Christians? The world asks searchingly. Where is their God? It may be said without fear of contradiction that the greatest hindrance to evangelism in the world today is the failure of the church to supply evidence in her own life and the work of the saving power of God. Rightly, we may pray for ourselves that we may have God's blessing and mercy and light of his countenance, not that we may then monopolize his grace and bask in the sunshine of his favor, but that others may see in us his blessing and his beauty and be drawn to him through us. I want to read that one quote again. It may be said without fear of contradiction that the greatest hindrance to evangelism in the world today is the failure of the church to supply evidence in her own life and work of the saving power of God. That, that brings conviction. May we as a people so believe in the power of God and these things that we say are true May we long for God's favor and blessing in our lives such that the watching world around us recognizes there's a difference these people know God. They are close to God. His, his presence is with them because they have a relationship with Him. May that be true of us. So brothers and sisters, here is my encouragement for us. Let us be a people who are bold in our prophetic witness. May we so believe these things that the power of our witness and testimony is true of us. That we as a church, we should pray for God's blessing. I desire that God would cause His favor to shine upon us. That His glory would be known among the nations. What will that look like? It doesn't necessarily mean that the pews and bank accounts are full. That is not a one-to-one -one equation of God's blessing on a people. 
God's blessing is himself, that we would know him, that we would honor him, that we would live in unity, that we would represent him well to a people who's watching us. And Shawnee Baptist Church has a strong history with missions. As I've understood the history, that this would be the first stateside church plant of ABWE back when it was headquartered in Cherry Hill. And so throughout its history, you can see the, the, the partnership that we've had with people like Dottie Glorn and many other missionaries and what would it be like for God to to bless us to uh, to make his favor shine upon us, to use us as a church so that we would continue to see God's gospel go forth to the nations. Here in South Jersey, throughout the United States, around the world, we have had a strong partnership with missions. What if God blessed us in ways that we could do more, that we could give more, that we could send more? May God bless us in those ways. That's a desire that I think all of us should get behind, and I would encourage you Read in Psalm 67. For the sake of God's name, make this a desire that God's glory would spread to the nations through Shawnee Baptist Church and through your life. Ask that God would bless you in such a way that you would know Him and others in your life would see there's something different about you. Would that be true of your life? Is this how you desire to God to bless your life? When we speak of what it means to be blessed and why we would want God to bless our lives, I would encourage us that we as a people should want God to to give us a relationship with him, the presence of him, a knowledge with him, such that it causes a watching world around us to want to know who the God is that we have a relationship with. I want to close. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to pray verse 1 and 2. I would ask you in your hearts to pray verse 1 and 2 with me for Shawnee Baptist Church, for us as individuals, that we're praying that God would bless us with Him so that others come to know who He is because He is supremely worthy of that glory. Let's pray. Our Father God, we come to you as Shawnee Baptist Church as individuals and we ask that you would be gracious to us that you would give us your kindness that you would bless us show us divine favor that you would make your face to shine upon us father please give us the glory of yourself And Father, would you do this so that your way would be known on earth. Do this so that your saving power would be known to the nations, to those who don't yet know you. Please, God, for your name's sake, do this in my life and in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.